0: Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blowout of wicked proportion. hey everyone and welcome to season three episode number 12 of the at tsn hockey bobcast this one for friday march 8th 2019 it's the mail it in march edition of the bobcast say no more and if i do this properly i think this will be the worst bobcast ever i mean what else could it be but mail it in march um i will most definitely tell you this it's the seat of the pants edition of the bobcast and I mean, ordinarily, I would spend anywhere from two to three hours at the low end, eight to 10 hours at the high end to prepare for a Bobcast. But this time, though, I think I might be pushing close to 20 or 30 minutes of prep time. So I just basically slapped this puppy together real quick. So there may be even more rambling and grumbling and mumbling than usual. And if you did come here looking for all sorts of information and insight, oh boy, did you come to the wrong place. Um, I always like to think that the Bobcast, as a rule, is a, uh, a victory of substance over style. And I think it usually is, but um, this edition could well be a dead heat between substance and style, which is uh, to suggest that I think we have equal non-existent amounts of both coming up here. But uh, after all, as I said off the top, it is mail it in March. And for the uninitiated, I, I should probably explain the illustrious history and background of uh, Mail It In March. And I'm fairly proud to say, I think I'm the originator of Mail It In March and I even have the copy right now. Um, That's actually not true, but um, as near as I can tell, it was my creation. And as I said, very proud of it. And um, and I, I wouldn't want you to get the wrong idea. I mean, if my bosses are listening, it's not like I don't do any work in March. I do, but just enough to get by and and to catch a breath and and really it's it's more relative to the other months of the year. Um, I mean, as soon as mid December kicks in and I start covering World Juniors as well as the National Hockey League, December and January is incredibly busy. And then we in January we move right on to TSN mid-season draft rankings, and um, then February comes and February is just nonstop trade rumors and trade center and four weeks of twenty four seven. Uh, all of us, Darren Dreger, myself, Pierre LeBrun, working our asses off leading up to trade deadline, and then you move right into the, the the playoff run in April and May, and and June is like the nuttiest month. That's that's the mother of all working months. When I mean, I think I spend 25 nights not in my own bed in June. You've got the Stanley Cup Final, you've got the NHL awards, the draft, you've got the buyout periods, all the trades, and the run up to free agency on July one. So really, if you look at it from mid-December right through to July 1, the free agent frenzy day, till I go on vacation on July 2nd, the pace is absolutely frenetic, except in March. That's the one month where you can take the foot off the accelerator just a little bit. The trade deadline's passed. The playoffs are still a ways away. So I look at March as our oasis month. And that's the month where we in the hockey media business, or at least me, uh, we get to catch our breath a little bit, slow things down. We don't shut it down entirely. We don't do nothing. We just do enough to get by and restore our energy because we've got that blistering three-month run of April, May, and June. So I hope, if nothing else, I've lowered the um, the, the, the bar for expectations in this edition of the Bobcast because I have every intention here of trying to do the limbo right under that expectations bar. And... Um, I apologize in advance for if if this whole podcast has a bit of a scattershot feel to it, but uh, that's kind of what Mail it In March is all about. So um, first off, I would like to thank the National Hockey League for scheduling the NHL General Manager's Meetings in Boca Raton. Is it Boca Raton or Boca Raton? I think it's Boca Raton but it doesn't sound right. Boca Raton sounds better. So let's, you know what? Let's just call it Boca. In any case, I thank the NHL for scheduling the NHL GM meetings in Boca so early and mail it in March. I mean, the, the trade deadline was what? Monday, February 25th. I was in Boca by Saturday, March 2nd. The weather was fantastic. And, and we've had, I don't know about where you live, but we've had here in Southern Ontario, an unusually cold and snowy winter. And um, I get a lot of grief from my fellow Canadians and understandably so, I, I get it. They, they like to be a hardy bunch and especially the hardiest of hardiest in, in my Western Canadian friends on the prairies. But I got to tell you, the older I get, the more I hate our Canadian winter. Sorry, I just do. And now each of their own. If you love winter, that's great for you. But I am so done with winter right now, even though winter is not close to being done with us as I look out the window and there's still more than a foot of snow on my front lawn and it's freezing cold out there. So um, it's, uh, yeah, I uncle on the winter part, but um, nevertheless, uh, once I retire or at least semi-retire in the not too distant future, I, I can most certainly assure you that I'm planning on spending those harsh winter months in Southwest Florida, Naples to be exact. And I've recently taken the steps to uh, to get a place there. So uh, very much looking forward to that. Uh, the GM meetings were relatively quiet this year, um, but it was great to see the current GMs honor former GMs as they are wont to do. The Monday of the general managers meetings, that Monday night, uh, they always have a dinner and a uh, social gathering to honor former general managers Uh, it's usually one a year that they honor, but this year it was two. So it was former NHL general managers, Brian Burke and Neil Smith, uh, both of whom who have done uh, work in the media. And um, so congrats to Berkey and Neil on uh, getting honored by their peers um, at that that traditional Monday night dinner and uh, all the best to both of them. They're both, uh, both real good men and uh, happy for them. Um, I guess the last time we spoke here on the Bobcast was on the Trade Center edition of the podcast. And I want to thank Darren Dreger and Pierre Lebrun, my fellow insiders at TSN, for making that episode the most listened to edition of the Bobcast every year. Um, It's a tradition we started two years ago, and uh, we'll keep that going, I'm sure. And it was great to spend some time with both Darren and uh, Pierre in, in Florida uh, Bobby Margarita even made a guest appearance on the Saturday and Sunday before the GM's meetings. Uh, some fine uh, TSN dinners with uh, with Dregs and Pierre and uh, Frank Saravalli and uh, Dave Parker and Ryan Rashog. So we've got a great team there and it was great to uh, to spend some time with them uh, breaking bread at the GM's meetings and enjoying the sun and fun that uh, that goes with covering the event in Boca. Um I should also point out that on, on that Thursday night of the last Bobcast, right after we taped the Trade Center edition of the Bobcast, I was off to Kitchener to see the Arkells concert at the Memorial Auditorium. And I, I'd like to take a few minutes to, um, to talk music and the Arkells for a bit because, man, what a show they put on. Now, I must say, one of my favorite songs by the Arkells is Drake's Dad. And much to my chagrin, they didn't play it at the uh, concert that night. So in honor of not hearing Drake at the Arkell's concert in Kitchener, I thought we'd play just a little bit of Drake's dad. Hit it, moles. We were rolling down Beard Street In the Tennessee summer heat I can't say it's a land of free But I tell you the booze runs cheap and then we met Drake Stan, told him we came from Hamilton. He said he knew a Canadian girl who had a thing full of Americans. And all the girls back home will tell you some grown-ass men acting like boys. There's some Peter Pan shit we're trying to work out But when something comes around, will you dig us on out? So we can be in your arms again Let me be in your arms again Because I You know, looking at their uh, set list from the other shows in their Cross Canada tour, it doesn't appear that Drake's dad is getting much, if any, love in the concerts, but that's understandable. They have so many unbelievably catchy tunes, it must be hard to to pare that list down. Now, I did get to meet Max Kerman, the frontman and lead singer of the Arkells, when I was in Kitchener, and I, I can't tell you enough what an impressive young guy that he is. And, and really aside from the incredible talent as a singer and a musician, and boy, what a, he's an unbelievably charismatic performer. Um, I think he continues the, the great Canadian tradition of our rock stars being so genuine and kind and caring. And, you know, from, from the very first time that I met Gore Downie, um, of the tragically hip back in, uh, you know, 1990 or 91, whatever it was, you could tell right off the hop what what a special person he was, and you know I had the exact same feeling coming away from from meeting with um, with Max in in Kitchener. Um, now, tragically, hip in the Arkells musically, I don't think there could be more different um, in terms of the the style of music, the way they present it. But I, I will tell you this: after seeing the Arkells in Kitchener and then seeing them again two nights later at a sold-out show at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, uh, which, by the way, I went to with my son, Sean, and his pal, Matt, who uh, is also known as the Hot Canadian from Very Cavallari, if you're into uh, those reality-type shows. Um, I do feel as like a a baton of sorts has been passed from the hip to the Arkells, and that is a really special Canadian band that has a special relationship and and synergy um, with with their audience. And funny enough at the Arkell's concert, I ran into Mike Downey. That would be Gord's brother. And Mike was there with his kids at the Arkell show, which was very cool to see Mike. And Mike, of course is carrying on Gord's inspired work with the Cheney Wenjack fund and, and trying to promote true reconciliation between indigenous and non-indigenous brothers and sisters. So it was great to see Mike. Um, I haven't seen him for a while. And, um, and, and, you know, when, when you go to a tragically hip, when you went to a tragically hip show, um, you, you could feel the connection between the crowd and the band. And it, it seemed like every person there knew every word to, to like every song. And I don't know how to explain it. It was almost as if there was a, a tangible intangible, if that makes any sense between Gore Downey and the crowd. And, and between Gore Downey and the guys in the Tragically Hip. And you know what? You could just feel that same sort of synergy in spades at an Arkell show. And um, the connection between Max Kerman and the crowd, the connection between Max and the guys in the Arkells. And and I, when I was at Scotiabank Arena and, and Max and the, the band were kind enough to, to get me sort of an all-access thing. So I was actually almost like backstage and and floor level and when max would run out on the long runway and they turn the lights on and he's singing to the and playing to the the crowd at Scotiabank Arena and the house lights kind of came up a little bit and you could just see how massive the crowd is and and how into the performance they was i was thinking how cool it must be for max who grew up in the the College in Spadina area of Toronto not that far away from Scotiabank Arena and to be there playing to that sold out arena man it it's got to be absolutely incredible it really gives you a it really gave me a feel of of what it was like for a moment to to view it through a rock star's eyes and um, it was a really riveting performance uh, both in Kitchener and in Toronto and and I I think most our Kells fans by by their standards, they would say I'm probably considered something of a Johnny-come-lately to the Arkells music. Now, I've been aware of the Arkells for, for many years and a lot of their great songs. And all of their music is terrific. But um, I've been really blown away by their two most recent album releases, The uh, Morning Report and and Rally Cry. They're both fantastic. And every song on each album is a winner. And I, and I would say this. If you're not familiar with the Arkells, then I would encourage you to absolutely check them out. You will not be disappointed with, by it. And if you are familiar with the Arkells, well, then I think you already know what I'm talking about. And for our many American listeners on the Bobcast, I should point out that the Arkells are touring the U.S. this month. They're hitting uh, Atlanta, Chicago, Detroit, Denver, Phoenix, San Diego, L.A., Portland, and Seattle before the end of this month. So if you are in any of those locales, by all means, check them out. Um, I really think these guys are next level and uh, are really going to take off. should also point out that today, March 8th, is International Women's Day. So a shout out to all the women worldwide. And I myself have been blessed to be surrounded by so many smart, strong women um, in my life. And uh, I know in previous Bobcasts, I've spoken at length about my mom and what a trooper she was uh, until she lost a battle with rheumatoid arthritis in her fifties. My lovely wife, Cindy, I would be absolutely lost without her. She's smart, she's strong, she's well-organized. She makes me laugh. And she runs my show in the best way possible. And uh, my sons, Mike and Sean, and their significant others, Andy and Sydney, shout out to them as well. And then, of course, there is the absolute joy of all of our lives, and that will be my little granddaughter, Blake Bella McKenzie, 16 months old tomorrow, and uh, I think if you uh, see her, you would realize, as we do, that she is the epitome of girl power, and I can hardly wait to see what havoc she's going to wreak on this world, because uh, she looks like an absolute keeper, full of life, energy, and uh, can't wait to see what great things she does with her life. And uh, as an aside, there's nothing, not anything much better than uh, than being a granddad and then being a pops to Blake. So look forward to that. And uh, she's also got a baby brother on the way this uh, summer. So uh, we're all excited about that in the McKenzie household. I should also very quickly, quick shout out to uh, all the women that I work with. And TSN, one of the reasons it's such a great place to work is um, how they empower so many women in so many key positions, especially on air. Um, Jennifer Hedger, Kate Burness, Natasha stanishevsky Tessa Banom, Laura and Carol Waglin, Sarah Oleski, Kristen Shelton, Andy Petrello, Kayla Gray, Lindsay Hamilton. It goes on and on and on. I'm sure I forgot so many of them, but uh, they are all so smart and funny and good at their jobs and uh, strong and independent. And uh, it's an honor to work with all of them. So anyways, uh, happy International Women's Day uh, to everybody. All right, then uh, let's get to some questions. Um, But in the spirit of Mail It In March, only easy questions and only those that require zero research and can be answered off the top of my rather large head. Okay, first one. And the subject says, happy mail it in March. You want to know how you get your question on and mail it in March? Put happy mail it in March in the subject. That's how. This one comes from Travis in Akron, Ohio. Hi, Bob. Congratulations. You've made it. Mail it in March is finally here. So I was hoping to pick your brain on two non-traditional NHL questions. First, has there ever been serious consideration about teams having the long change for the first and third periods rather than just the second period. I think this could add some scoring to the game. Right now, the percent of goals scored in the second and third periods, on average, is about even, roughly 35%. Which is surprising when you think of how many goals are scored in the last five minutes of a game with empty netters and teams in full press to tie games. So one would think that adding the long change element would really bump up third period scoring and potential for late comebacks. Thoughts? Second, and an even dumber question, (laughs) could you ever see an alternative professional hockey league being successful? The Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon investing in the Alliance of American Football got me wondering this. Not necessarily a competitor or a partner with the NHL, just a different league that starts, say, in mid-June and finishes their season in October or November. Thanks for taking the time to indulge in these silly questions and for the regular wine recommendations. Enjoy, mail it in March, and let's go, Penguins. That from Travis in Akron, Ohio. Well, Travis, let me see here. Um, On the, uh, the long change question, it's funny you should mention that because I know that when they were looking to try to bump up scoring there, it used to be when they were playing the four-on-four overtime, they... Um, they they kept the uh, the teams in the same end as they would as if they were starting the game. And then the NHL said, yeah, you know what? Let's treat it as, okay, first period, you get the home change. Second period, you get the long change. Third period, you get the home change. Overtime, you get the long change again. So they did do that for overtime to try and bump up the, uh, the outcome results in... Uh, in overtime, so they don't get to as many shootouts. I don't believe they've considered it for the first and third period, but I think you're right. The long change does present some enormous headaches for coaches, and it does get teams caught sometimes. Um, So, yeah, uh, it's surprising they haven't done that, but a point well taken by you. As for the second and even dumber question, as you pointed out, I will answer that in a moment after I read the next question from Ahmad, AKA pharmacies who says, hi Bob, big fan of yours and was honored to get a photo with you and James Duffy at the world junior tournament in Vancouver. You guys are class acts. My question, do you think the NHL will ever take a page from the NBA and put on an NHL summer league tournament featuring all the games, best young players and prospects? Why not put it in Vegas would be a hockey convention with fans, players, and management from around the league in one place. The hockey would be great, and legends would be born thanks that from Ahmad. So we have two similar mail it in March questions from Ahmad and Travis. And um what I would say to that is I sure as hell hope not. Uh summer hockey sucks. <laughs> um and i say that with all due respect to people who put their kids in summer hockey but i first off get on my mail it in march soapbox um play, if you've got kids playing hockey find another sport in the summer it doesn't need to be hockey 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 12 months of the year go play lacrosse or baseball or soccer or something let them play golf let them go fishing swimming, cottaging whatever um they need a break from the game. So um, that about that, as far as um, Travis's idea of, uh, you know, another league, just don't see it. Hockey just doesn't have the universal appeal that um, football obviously does. And, and I, and I'm not, I'm a little skeptical of the whole, um, whatever it's called Alliance of American football. Um, And the fact that Tom Dundon had to chuck whatever it was, 250 mil, to keep it going because it was underfunded might tell you everything you need to know about the ultimate popularity of playing football year round. But um, I just don't think we need it in hockey. And um, you know, the NBA has got its summer league in Vegas and I understand that, but it's not going to work. And, and in fact, I would say this, and, I, and I've been on this soapbox before. Um, if you were to take an elite draft eligible player and and plot out, one calendar year a 12 month period of what they go through starting with uh you know if it's a canadian kid um he goes in july to the under 18 camp he goes to the under 18 tournament um uh in in august at the holinka um gets a week or two off before there's if he's playing in the chl he's got training camp in in august you got preseason games regular season games you get into November and you've got the showcase. If you're a good enough player, um, you get invited to play against the Russians in November and play five games in seven nights. Then it's on to if you're good enough to get invited to the, the World Junior Camp in December. If you make the team, you you play at the World Juniors. Uh, you come back, you've got the Prospects Tournament in January. You come back, you play in February and March. You've got playoff hockey in, in your CHL League. You could go all the way to the the playoffs, uh, Memorial Cup, in uh, well into to, to May. Um, you've got the uh, if you don't go all the way to the Memorial Cup, you, you'll probably get invited to the World Under 18 Championships in April. It's just hockey, 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 and pressure, pressure, pressure. And then you've got the NHL Draft Combine right after the the Under 18s and the uh, the Memorial Cup, and then the teams bring players in for interviews and such then you go to the draft and you get drafted and then as soon as the draft is over you you jet off to the city that drafted you and they have prospect camps um and and then it's right back into the summer camps of hockey canada inviting you to the world junior camp uh um then rookie camp rookie nhl camp and then nhl training camp and that's like a 12 to 14 month period there's just no break so, you know, the the whole idea, I understand why other sports do it and I understand why there's a temptation to want to have summer leagues and summer camps and summer hockey. Eh-eh, uh-uh. it's mail it in March, baby. And, uh, we, and we don't even mail it in in July and August, at least I don't, July and August. And yet, nothing, zero. And in fact, I'd like to see more levels of the game try to find a, you know, a four week period where everybody just says enough, no transactions, no business being conducted, nothing, just shut her right down. Everybody needs a break because it's 24 seven, the other 11 months of the year, well, 10 months of the year for me, but 11 for everybody else that doesn't take a two month vacation in the summer. Okay, uh, next question. Dear Bob, Sorry for such a simpleton question. And then in brackets, he hashtags it, mail it in March. I love how the mail it in March thing is catching on. It's got a momentum. It's got a life of its own. Uh, Anyway, sorry for such a simpleton question, mail it in March. But when players reach 1,000 games played in the NHL, does that include playoff games or just regular season? I've always been confounded by that. Brian in Pensacola. I also love that Brian in Pensacola, Travis in Akron, Ohio, um, We've got people from all over here on the mail it in March bandwagon. Um, Yeah, I believe that the official recognition for a thousand NHL games when they traditionally get the uh, silver stick or whatever it is that they hand out, the the memento that the teams or the league hand out to them, it's for regular season games played. Um, Whatever reason... um, Regular season games are kept separate from playoff games and uh, it's the regular season games that seem to uh, count the most, um, even though you can't ignore obviously those regular season, uh, sorry, those playoff numbers. Uh, next question. And this is even warms my heart even more. The subject line on this email sent on Monday, March 4th from Benny is mail it in March, the Swedish edition. Hello, Mr. McKenzie. First off, I'd like to thank you for your excellent podcast. You were touching on so many different, important, and maybe not so important topics in the pod. I like that. That was complimentary. Very gentle way of saying you talk a lot of BS. Maybe not so important. Always very interesting and always with a thoughtful reasoning. Uh, We have only had a real good NHL coverage in Sweden the last 10 to 15 years. Now with the possibility to watch games on demand, Uh, at reasonable local time and follow Canadian U.S. hockey writers through the internet and Twitter, it is much easier to read about Swedish players in a non-Swedish biased way. I'm a 41-year-old and a Philadelphia Flyer fan. It was the tragic death of Pelle Lindbergh that made me a fan of the Orange and Black. But it wasn't until the days of the Legion of Doom that I started to follow the team more frequently in the ways possible back then now to my question questions who are your favorite all-time swedish players pick how many you like and preferably pre-2000 do you have any favorite swedish player moment moments who was the first swede that made a real impression on you how big was boreas salming can we swedes really imagine how big he was or are we disillusioned do you have anything else you would like to add about swede's in the NHL I hope you can read and understand my not so perfect English spelling and grammar best regards Benny from Vasterus, Sweden Benny your English spelling and grammar is better than my English spelling and grammar so no problem there I love the fact that as I said Brian in Pensacola Travis in Akron, Ohio not sure where Ahmad's from but um, I guess he's probably from Vancouver because uh, he got his picture taken with us during the World Juniors Uh, And now Benny in Vastra, Sweden. Um, Really cool that everybody's on the Mail It In March bandwagon and giving me such easy questions uh, for this Mail It In March edition of the Bobcast. Okay, let's uh, tackle some of these. Uh, Love the Swedes. My favorite all-time Swedish players, I think you hit it. I was a Leaf fan growing up, and and I started to fall out of love with being a Leaf fan um, in the... uh, the late 70s, early 80s, as I always like to say, the combination of Harold Ballard owning the Leafs and me getting into journalism and going to journalism school in the late 1970s um, was, uh, was my cure for being a Leaf fan. Leaf fans get mad when I say my cure for being a Leaf fan. Nevertheless, um, but I was absolutely blown away by Boreas Alming. My goodness, and I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but um, when you use the word warrior in the context of a National Hockey League player, I don't know that there were any bigger warriors or greater warriors than uh, the guy they uh, uh, said was a Viking, and that was Boreas Salmi. Man, he put up with so much abuse. You can't even, I don't think fans today can even imagine what hockey was like in the 1970s with the Broad Street Bullies. And and the stuff, the intimidation, the physical harm they tried to inflict on Borea Salming and Inga Hammerstrom um, back in the 70s was absolutely incredible. And and Borea just was, he just rose above it. He had the heart of a lion, uh, one of the most courageous players I've ever seen play the game. And even when I see him now, I'm blown away. He's He's such an impressive, he's a big man and and he's got such a weathered face and the scars to go with it and and he just looks like such a Viking warrior and uh so he was uh for me probably my biggest introduction to Swedes and uh that's a good introduction to have. I, I think the next guy that came along that, that sort of took a page out of um Boreas Loming's book would have been Peter Forsberg and I was uh blown away by by Forsberg the level that he played at, the impact that he had on the game but just how hard he played and um, how smart he was and skilled and all of those combinations. So um, those would be the two that jumped out at me. Um, he, Benny asked if I have anything else I would like to add about Swedes in the NHL. And I guess I would say this um, for the most part, when I when I think of a Swede, I think of, you know, the prototypical Swede, you know, like Nick Lidstrom, um, low maintenance, high performance. That's and, and I think that's true almost across the board. I don't want to stereotype and cliche uh, any uh, any one nationality in the National Hockey League, but boy, oh boy, uh, the Swedes just seem like like the, the best people, <laughs> the the nicest guys. They they could all win Mister Congeniality for the most part, and they just seem like such low maintenance individuals, um, and they seem to do an amazing job of being so cerebral um, but also have the ability to be visceral in their game and to play it at such a high level and and to make it all look easy. Maybe that was just the Nick Lidstrom effect. He just made it look so easy. Excellence looks so easy. But for whatever reason and and whether it's John Klingberg or Eric Carlson or any Oliver Ekman Larson or any of these great Swedish defensemen that we've come to see over the years, um, And, you know, Henrik Lundqvist, just class and the way they carry themselves, uh, tremendous. So there you go, Benny. I hope they did a suitable um, tribute to uh, the Swedes in the National Hockey League and uh, Sweden in general. It is the Mail It In March edition of the Bobcast, but we do have to pay the bills. And therefore, it's time for, you guessed it, untuck it. And since it is Mail It In March, I'm going to uh, mail it in here and simply read the advertising copy that was supplied to me uh, when Untuck It so uh, graciously came on as uh, an advertiser and sponsor on the uh, the Bobcast. So here we go. Hey guys, it's never a good look when you untuck a long bulky dress shirt. That's why Untuck It makes shirts specifically designed to be worn untucked. A casual shirt that's not too long, not too short, Untucket shirts are a go-to for any occasion from casual to dressy with more than 50 sizing options. Every guy can find the perfect shirt. Go to untucket.com and check out all the new arrivals. Use the promo code Bobcast for 20% off your purchase. Visit Untucket at their brand new first Canadian retail store in Sherway Gardens or shop online anywhere. Stop hiding your shirt with your pants and your pants with your shirt Untuckit.com. Use promo code Bobcast. B-O-B-C-A-S-T, and there you go. The mail it in March read of the Untuckit ad. Alrighty then. Time for a little listener feedback, mail it in March style. Um, first email comes from Andrew Rocco. Hi Bob, huge fan from Connecticut. I know you traveled to Stamford for NBC, which also happens to be the city where I work and move to after school. I was wondering if you ever stick around after your NBC recordings to eat or have drinks. If you haven't been, I suggest trying Cafe Silvium or Columbus Park Trat. I've been to both and can vouch for the food. Unfortunately, I never developed a taste for wine, but I'm sure they'd have something you like. Although I personally preferred Cafe Silvium. Depending on who you ask, those two are either 1A or 1B for the best food in Stamford. Regards. P.S. I am cautiously optimistic Rangers fan who is both excited to turn a new chapter and looking forward to the trade deadline. On An unrelated note, the Mika Zabenejad-Derek Broussard deal is looking great right about now. That from Andrew Rocco. Obviously, Andrew sent this listener feedback in prior to the trade deadline. And... um, the Rangers, of course, um, made their moves, traded Hayes, traded Zuccarello. I know some Ranger fans thought they should have got more, but uh, the rebuild is on. And yes, uh, zabanejad is playing fantastic hockey for the Rangers, so that was a great trade for Jeff Gorton and company. Um, now, as for Stamford, Connecticut, Um, Yes, you are correct. I do go to the NBCSN studios that are there. Fantastic studios, I must uh, add. Um, But I spend actually very little time. My normal routine for um, going down to the NBC games on Wednesday is that I fly out of Toronto on Wednesday morning, fly into LaGuardia. I check into an airport hotel close to LaGuardia and uh, do a little work, prep for the show, Uh, NBC sends a lovely car service for me, picks me up at the hotel near LaGuardia, uh, takes me up the 30, 40-minute drive up to Stanford. I go in, do what I have to do, uh, a couple of hits in the pregame show, first intermission, tape a hit for the postgame, and then I'm on my way back in the car service to uh, my hotel uh, near LaGuardia. And the reason I don't spend time in Stanford very simply is... If I woke up there on Thursday morning and had to get to LaGuardia, I'd have to deal with the uh, rush hour traffic from Connecticut into the city and uh, don't need that. So uh, stay at an airport hotel, uh, grab a shuttle or an Uber, and I'm uh, two minutes away from LaGuardia and I'm back home uh, as quickly as possible on Thursday morning. But thank you for the tips on uh where to eat or drink in Stanford. I will file those away on occasion if I do happen to uh, spend an overnight in Stanford. Okay, Uh, next comes from Chef Jonathan Collins. And Jonathan's not too happy with me. Hi, Bob. Tuned in to listen to your latest Bobcast. That will be the Trade Center edition. Um, Anyways, tuned in to listen to your latest Bobcast for the first time and was disappointed to hear profanity in the first 60 seconds uh, where I happen to say, God damn, um, cheers, Jonathan. So I apologize, Jonathan. And I, I sincerely mean that I, I try to use the podcast and be authentic and for better or for worse, I am known to, um, to curse now and again. And I realize that's not for everybody. And so I do apologize that you were offended by it. Um, but, um, I'm glad you didn't uh, listen to some of the other podcasts where um, uh, things got a little worse than uh, uh, using the Lord's name in vain, although I'm sure you, you you know, that's very upsetting to you and and fair enough. In any case, um, your email, but even before your email, um, I've had run into a few people lately who told me that they are big listeners of the Bobcast. And in a number of instances, it was somebody who said, yeah, me and my young son listen to it all the time. And I was like, ooh, wait a second. I didn't necessarily envision that many kids listening to the Bobcast. I just kind of assumed it would be more of a a mature adult audience. And that um, for that adult audience who have any semblance of an idea of who I am and what I'm all about, that they might reasonably expect that I might utter the odd curse word or two along the way. Um, but for that reason, I, I, if if I did drop an F-bomb here or there for effect in many instances, we generally uh, bleep it out. But uh, that was a little bit of a wake-up call um, that, uh, that people mentioned to me. They listened to the Bobcast with their kids and I decided that uh, I'm going to try and make an effort to uh, to PG it a little better, um, make it a little more uh, pg and uh, a little less uh, the bleep out version, but anyways, we'll see where all that goes. I can't make any absolute promises, but uh, thanks, uh, thanks for the email, Chef Jonathan Collins. Okay, let's get back into uh, some questions here. Next one comes from Matt in Kitchener, who's a Go Ranger Go guy. Um, hello, Bob. I'm a very big fan of the bodca- podcast. I've always wondered, do you follow any other sports besides hockey? I've always been a hockey first guy my entire life, but it's hard to ignore other fantastic sports like football, baseball and mixed martial arts. That from Matt in Kitchener. Well, Matt, um, yeah, I'm pretty much one dimensional when it comes to sports. Um, I'm a very casual observer of other sports Um, on football, for example. I do like to get up Sunday morning and I like to watch the ESPN um, NFL countdown show. Um, I'm a big fan of television. I'm a big fan of sports TV. I'm a big fan of panel shows. And I don't know that anybody does the panel show better than ESPN NFL ESPN NFL countdown. So I really enjoy watching the features, the interviews, the various things, uh, Adam Schefter and, uh, the gang and uh, I I I find it helps me a little bit as a broadcaster and just to see what they do and I think they do a great job with a lot of the features so that's available to us here in Canada on on TSN as a matter of fact so that's another good reason to uh, to watch it Um, but I don't watch football the actual games Um, once once the countdown show is over I don't watch the games. I do watch the Super Bowl. I do watch the Grey Cup, but I don't watch the CFL on a regular basis. I don't watch Major League Baseball on a regular basis, but I will dabble with the World Series. Um, you know, sort of, a, I guess I'm a bandwagon fan watching at the most important moments. Um, I don't really watch a lot of basketball. Although I the, the year of the lockout, the year we lost the entire season to the lockout, uh, 2004, five uh season i um i adopted the nba that year in the playoffs because i i had no um stanley cup final playoffs to go to so i watched the nba finals and i treated it as if it was the stanley cup finals that was the year that the the detroit pistons were the bad boys and they played the san antonio spurs if i remember correctly and um i got to know manu ginobili and uh and, uh, it was terrific to get to know the whole basketball scene in, uh, and I never really continued to watch it, but I kind of keep an eye on the Raptors and what they do. And, and I do one of my bucket list things is to get to uh, a Raptors game, but I want to sit in the courtside side seats and be a big deal like Jack Nicholson or Howard Stern. And, uh, so I'm going to have to go to TSN and see if I can wrangle, uh, uh, courtside seats for the Raps at some point, but I'm really just a bandwagon fan for those other sports. I, I will tell you this. I did go to one of, the, one of the great sporting events I went to was UFC 100 in Las Vegas. And I want to say that was July 11th, 2009. And the reason I know that is because it was my son Sean's 20th birthday. And for his 20th birthday, it's kind of goofy. You've got to be 21 to, you're supposed to be 21 to get into the casinos and partake of all the things in Vegas. But um, Sean was 20 and uh, we went down to that and it was fantastic. And and that's, that, that will also stand as the record for the most I ever paid for an, a, a sporting event as a fan. And because uh, it was pretty damn close to uh, a thousand bucks um, per ticket us dollars um, for UFC 100 that might have been at the zenith of uh, UFC and uh, that was uh, it was a great card uh, that was Brock Lesnar and, and Frankie Murr. uh George St. Pierre fought uh, Tiago Alves uh, that was the Henderson Bisping fight um, which was unbelievable because um Henderson put bisping down like you wouldn't believe um so yeah that was uh that was a pretty special night and uh um as i say i'm i'll occasionally do a, an m m a um u f c pay per view depending on the fight um I'm not a rabid fan for it, but um uh, I do somewhat enjoy the gladiator sports, as bloody as they might be, and uh, for somebody who preaches against head trauma, it's kind of ironic, if not uh, hypocritical, that uh, I'll do that, but um, on those particular instances, those guys know what they sign up for, and they, they go into it eyes wide open, and uh, anyways, it's uh, when you start looking at the list of sporting events that uh, I go to, um, those would be some of them. Um, U.S. Open tennis, I've been to on two occasions. I absolutely love the U.S. Open. Uh, fantastic. Uh, nothing better than a day at Flushing Meadow uh, for me. Uh, full day of, of watching the the smaller courts and then getting on to Arthur Ashe or the Grandstand Stadium and checking things out. So um, I absolutely love Watching tennis on television, but uh, even better to spend a day at the uh, the U.S. Open. So that's kind of my list of uh, non-hockey-related fandom, if you will. Oh, by the way, one footnote on UFC 100 back in 2009. I forgot to mention Jerome McGinley, um who obviously just had his uh, number 12 retired by the Calgary Flames. He was at he was at UFC 100. Um, his seats were better than mine. He was pretty close to ringside. (laughs) And actually, I think, you know what? I I, I have to to check with Noodles, Jamie McLennan, when I go into the studio again. But I'm pretty sure Noodles was there with him um, or with a group of guys. In any case, um, I remember seeing Jerome McGinley fairly close to ringside. I was a little further away, even though my tickets uh, cost a lot. (laughs) Sean McKenzie, you owe me. Um, okay, let's uh, move on to the next question. This one comes from Larry Eloy or Eloy. Okay, uh, Winnipeg Jets fan. Hi, Bob. Did you think when you started in journalism that you would have had the career that you have, have had? What was your TSN turning point when you were able to say to yourself, I've made it? Also, if you have time, give us a breakdown of your career, of where you started and where you go to now. I remember you from the hockey news days And one last thing, go Jets, go. Well, Larry, um, let's see. TSN turning point. Yeah, there was an actual TSN turning point for me. And it was the 1991 World Junior Championships in Saskatoon. And it was the first World Junior Championship that TSN had the rights to. And me being involved in that broadcast was my own personal TSN turning point. And it was also for many, in many respects, it was the turning point for the network too. Um, The network really seemed to take off after that. I should point out TSN started in 1984. It actually started on the Labor Day weekend. And what I remember about that is there was a Canada cup tournament, um, both in Toronto and Montreal and um, TSN launched that weekend. And... um, but the, the World Juniors in 91 was, as I said, TSN's first World Junior. And that's when they, it, I don't know, there was a certain synergy between TSN and the World Juniors that year. And everything just kind of took off from there for the network. And me personally, I, I started doing work in around 87, 88 at TSN, a little bit of this, a little bit of that on NHL broadcasts. Nothing too substantial And initially, as Editor-in-Chief of the Hockey News, I was on something called the Hockey News Television Edition that uh, uh, the Hockey News bought time on TSN and they had a half-hour magazine show that was hosted by my pal Jim Van Horn. And as part of the deal, I had like a mandatory 90-second segment and I was god-awful in it, but that's another story. But anyways, I started getting a little bit of, you know, can you come on this show for a few minutes here or there um, in the late 80s? And in 1990, when TSN got the rights to junior hockey games in Canada, the CHL, um, Scott Moore and Paul Romanuk um, were producing that show on TSN and were uh, kind enough to ask me to be the color commentator on the junior broadcasts. And so I started. that's when I started to roll out and do more stuff at TSN, but it was after the 91 World Juniors when I kind of felt like I got acceptance at TSN as a TSN personality or on-air person. And um, my work really kind of escalated at TSN after that. But I always had a full-time job um, in in newspapers. Um, And to Larry's question about the breakdown of where my career, I, I went to journalism school at Ryerson in the late 1970s. Uh, graduated in 79, started at the Sioux Star in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, uh, was there for a couple of years covering junior hockey, came back to Toronto, uh, worked a little freelance at the Globe and Mail, some copy editing shifts at the Globe and Mail, and was fortunate enough on June 1st of 1982 to be named editor-in-chief of the Hockey News. I was only 25 years old at the time, and uh, was way over my head, but was lucky enough to get that job. And from 1982 to 1991, I was the editor-in-chief of the Hockey News. While I was editor-in-chief of the Hockey News, I started doing some of the TSN stuff in the the late 1980s. And that just continued to escalate. In 1991, I left the Hockey News and went to uh, the Toronto Star as a hockey columnist. And um, then in 1997, went back to the Hockey News in a writing position for three years. And um, in the year 2000, I left newspapers and basically, um, was full-time in the, uh, the broadcasting medium, mostly at TSN. Um, but I also did work back then for ESPN. And of course now I do it for NBC. As far as your, your question, Larry, of, um, when I was able to say to myself, I've made it, I've always had, you know, I don't know that there's been a moment where I've said, oh, I've made it. Um. I didn't ever want to take for granted what I had going for me. And I probably always lived in fear that any of this could end any time. And so I think that's probably why I worked as hard as I did at both jobs, both in the newspaper world and then the broadcast world. And because um, I just thought, yeah, I might as well make Hey, Well, the Sun Shines, as my dad would say. Because uh, you don't know how long this is going to last. I always kind of felt like Cinderella that midnight might strike and the the glass slipper wouldn't fit anymore. So I don't know if I ever had that seminal moment where I said I'd made it, but um, I certainly never imagined that when I started out um, that I would end up with the career that I've had. And um, very simply, I just wanted to be a hockey writer and didn't think much. I never planned on ever being in broadcasting. I never planned on being on television. I never planned on being that well-known. Um, so, um, it's all been, uh, unbelievable and I'm grateful for it all. And it's, uh, I'm much closer to the end than the beginning and, uh, more on that later, I guess, but, uh, um, yeah, so it's, it's been a great ride and, uh, it ain't over. Okay. Next question comes from Finland, a friend in Tampere, Finland, Joke Nevelainen. I'm practicing my Finnish. I'll tell you more about that later. Um, Got more for my Finnish uh, listeners of the Bobcast. Anyways, from Yoke, he says, Hi, Bob, I think it's time for all of us to start mentally preparing ourselves for the time when you eventually retire. The thing I will miss the most is the TSN Draft Ranking Show and article. Do you think you can pass that on to someone or will it leave with you? On one hand, it won't be the same without you. But on the other hand, I would hate to see it ending, and I don't know if anyone else can get the scouts to open up their books the way you can. Best regards, Joke Nevalainen from Tampere, Finland. Well, Joke, good news for you. Um, When I do eventually retire, or as I like to call it, semi-retire, because I'm not going to entirely shut it down. um, I haven't worked out all the details yet, but... um, I think it would be safe to say that one of the things I will continue to do in semi-retirement is the TSN draft rankings and uh, and and appear on the draft show uh, as long as NBC still has the rights or whoever's got the rights. Yeah, but NBC's got the draft rights and I'm on the draft show and I'll continue doing that for as long as they want me to do it. Um, I've mentioned before about you talked about retirement or whatever. There's no concrete plans other than I know that, uh, next season, the next hockey season, the 2019 20 season is the last on my contract at TSN. And, um, I do want to, after that, um, significantly scale it down where I'm not working 24, seven, 10 months of the year. And, um, I want to uh, do a lot of other things. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, I've set it up where uh, I'm going to have a place to go in the winter in Naples, Florida. Uh, I've got my cottage in the summer. And uh, that's kind of the plan for what plans are ever worth. And um, But as I said, you know things like the World Junior Tournament, uh, draft rankings, the NHL draft itself, um, I'm going to sit down with TSN at some point in the near future here and uh, try to map out a sort of a sunset provision beyond the uh, 2019-20 season. But I do want to get out of the daily uh, 24-7 uh, being the so-called Hockey Insider And uh, doing a gazillion radio hits a week and having to watch all these games and try to feel like you know everything that's going on and take a major, major step back from that into a much uh, quieter um, life that will allow me to do a lot of other things that aren't uh, quote unquote work related. But uh, anyways, there you go. Okay, Uh, that's for you. Uh, Next question comes from Glenn Law in Phoenix, Arizona. Hi, Bob. Do you have any book suggestions for us before uh, heading off to the cabin? The Ryan Holiday books you talked about last year were all very good, and I have shared The Daily Stoic and The Obstacle is the Way with my crew at work. Thanks for all you do and enjoy some time off. I should point out that uh, Glenn sent this email uh, last May. Um, so when he was talking about me heading off for the summer, um, I can tell you this, um, I, I I don't have a good list of books, um, uh, that I'm going to read anytime soon, but I do know this on the Ryan Holiday, um, trilogy, uh, the, the obstacle is the way ego is the enemy. Um, there's a third book that's coming out in October. Of this year um, October 2019 and it's called stillness is the key so I guess it will be the third in that obstacle uh, that trilogy rather that goes with the obstacle is the way and ego is the enemy stillness is the key so I'm going to uh, pre-order that and have that ready because I love Ryan holidays work and um, actually when I touted some of Ryan's uh, work on a previous uh, Bobcast and on Twitter. Um, Ryan was kind enough to reach out to me via direct message on Twitter uh to thank me for um for touting the obstacle is the way. Um and was kind enough to send me along some uh some stuff in the the, the Daily Stoic and, and others. So very cool to um to have a little uh, cyber conversation with Ryan Holiday on his work. and um, But uh, Glenn, in, I'm going to tuck this away. I'm going to recirculate your email back into the um, to be um, dealt with in the future file. And before I go on vacation this summer, I'm marking vacation, books, and a big star to show how important it is. I'm going to come up with some, good summer reading for you, Glenn, since you asked and make sure that you, uh, you get that. All righty. Uh, next question comes from Stephen. Hi, Bob. My name is Steven and I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and I'm a big fan of the show. I just had a quick question for you and would love to hear what you'd personally recommend. Me and my fiance just got engaged and I wanted to have a nice bottle of wine on our wedding day. And I, since I hear you call yourself a wine douche, I was wondering if there were a few different kinds that you would recommend. Thanks, you all, thanks as always and keep up the great work on everything you do. Best regards, Stephen. Well, Stephen, thank you very much. And as I say, relative to people like Matt Cause and others, I know nothing about wine but I'm trying and uh, I'm enjoying the journey of learning uh, and tasting and experiencing. So you didn't give me any idea on a price tag. So if you want to keep it lower end, I would just say go grab any uh, Amarone. It's a nice Italian Amarone generally run about 50 bucks, give or take 10 or 20. Um, But if you really want to do it up, right? I mean, you know, you're talking about your wedding day. So you want to do something special. If, if that's not a special occasion, I don't know what is. So I would say go for the gusto and, and go for a bottle that's going to cost you 100 or 200 bucks and, uh, and spare no expense. Now, of course, if you, um, if you want to do the champagne thing, then obviously Dom Perignon would be the way to go. Um, so that's a nice, expensive bottle of bubbly. Um, but if you're going to go really high end, the, the the Super Tuscans, there's three big Super Tuscans that are famous. One is Sassicaia, one is ornolia and one is Tignanello. And they're all great, great, great wines. And depending on which um, bottle of it you get, which vintage you get and where you're located, they're going to run you 100 200 bucks and uh but I would highly recommend any of those now if since you're an american and you're from st louis missouri um if you want to stick to americans then go for a big bold california cab and um you know any one of these are fantastic silver oak cake bread camus inglenook shadow montalena duckhorn Uh, Stag's Leap. So any of those big, bold Cali cabs, um, you know, a nice Ridge, Ridge Montebello cab, uh, those are all terrific too. So lots of choices there for you and your uh, bride-to-be and congrats on the impending nuptials. And uh, I hope you enjoy your, uh, your wine or champagne or whatever the case may be. All right, then that brings us to our final question for the Mail It In March edition of the Bobcast. This one comes from Richard, and fittingly, um, it's uh, Netflix-related. The subject says, Series from Finland. I heard you mention you liked them on Toronto Radio. You should check out Deadwind. I really liked it. Regards, Richard. Well, Richard, you're absolutely right. Um, I do like the... uh, on Netflix, the international uh, TV series. Um, I I was on radio and I was talking about how much I enjoyed Border Town, which is a Finnish crime drama featuring Yari Sorinen. And uh, it's uh, it's a great show. And I, I enjoy watching these shows with subtitles. I'm a big subtitle guy. I do not go for the dubbing. I can't stand watching the uh, the English version of the dubbing not match up to the what's coming out of the mouths of the actors. So I always go with the uh, the subtitles. And Bordertown was fantastic. And after I mentioned Bordertown, everybody told me how good Deadwind is. And I just finished watching Deadwind last night. It is fantastic. Um, again, Finnish crime drama, police, copper show in Finland. And uh, like all these copper shows, regardless of what country they come from, the uh, the hero in the show or the main character in the show is a severely flawed human being who um, who ultimately triumphs at the end. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the, uh, Dead Wind. And I'm really going to work on my uh, my finish. i I now running around to everybody saying, Kitos, which of course means thank you. I also... Uh, know how to say no in Finnish, a, E-I, a, um, which uh, amuses me to know in that the Finnish word for no is a. And uh, Canadians would be in trouble (laughs) when they go to Finland because all we ever say is a. People are just going to think we're saying no all the time. I know that uh, the word now in Finland is net. So um, I'm picking up little things along the way. And uh, hope to be able to have a conversation with my uh, favorite Finnish hockey writer, Juha um at some point in my lifetime. I seriously doubt that. But other shows um, that I can recommend, uh, the foreign language version, I mentioned it before, Where Heroes Fly is an Israeli show. Really good. Really enjoyed that. I've mentioned Fauda many times before. That's also an Israeli show. Um, I'm watching one right now. Um, and I think it, it, it's quite good and it's called the break and the best way I can describe this one again, it's a copper show, French language, but Belgian in, uh, in origin. So it takes place in Belgium, but it's French language. So that was kind of cool. I did notice on Netflix and this isn't foreign, um, well, it's foreign, but not subtitles or not in English, uh, secret city. Uh, that's an Australian series. I saw season one of that quite a while ago. I noticed that season two is now up and ready to go on Netflix. So I'll be uh, tucking into uh, that one. Um, here's a recommendation for you. It's really sort of quirky and not at all like the shows that I watch, but I had to watch it because it's from Northern Ireland. It's called Dairy Girls and uh, it's really quirky and funny and uh, a real change of pace from all the usual uh, um, crime dramas and other types of shows that I watch. And uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for Northern Irish accents, and because my dad was from Belfast, and I just think I think the, the the Northern Irish are the funniest people in the world, whether they mean to or not. And uh, Dairy Girls was awesome. So uh, you could turn on the subtitles if you <laughs> if you have a tough time um, understanding that. And uh, but it's it's good. Enjoyed it a lot. So anyways, so there you go. Border Town, Dead Wind, The Break, uh, Secret City, Season Two, Dairy Girls, Where Heroes Fly, Fauda. Um, that's it. So um, that is basically it for the mail it in March edition of the Bobcast. Uh, Happy International Women's Day. I'm going to go celebrate that and mail it in March uh, by opening up a bottle of wine and having uh, some homemade pizza with my wife Cindy and uh, watching something on Netflix. So until then, uh, enjoy La Jete Se Malascusa Oh wait, i got to do this over again. La Jete Se Malascusa which is how you say mail it in March in Finnish, or at least that's what the Google translation has it as. Apologies to you, Ha, and Finns Worldwide if I didn't get that quite right. Uh, Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. Take care. that's it for the at tsn hockey every other friday bobcast hope you enjoyed today's show if you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca that's b-o-b-c-a-s-t at bellmedia.ca and we'll try to get it on the next bobcast be sure to follow me on twitter that's at tsn bob mckenzie and for great hockey coverage all year round follow the at tsn hockey twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time, and have a great weekend.